Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and Intel Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. My sermon today is called, He Came Once, He's Coming Again. Matthew 1.18, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So it was already foretold, wasn't it? Well, Joseph heard about it before he was even born that he would save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So they must have made a bit of a disturbance because the whole of Jerusalem got disturbed by these three Magi that came along and said, Where's this Jesus or Emmanuel or this man that was to be born? this Lord, this Messiah, when he had called uh, together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said in Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, and out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. 
So and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Just just some th- something quick about this. The coming of Jesus caused a, a, such a massive, massive stir. Uh, immediately, boys were killed at his birth. When he left, you could imagine, like, all the boys under two, like, how many would there have been? A few hundred? One to two hundred? And he, here goes King Herod, sends in the soldiers, they kill all these boys under two years old. Just horrible, horrible atrocity. You don't even hear of things like that today. Now, this was all around the birth of Christ. Such a great conspiracy surrounded Christ. The, the Christmas story is a quite a sad one. That's a sad thing, isn't it? A couple of hundred young kids killed on Christmas Day. You haven't heard that Christmas story before, have you? No. I've started this series. This series is uh, this message comes in line with the Truth, Judgment, and Eternity series as a mutually compatible series to the Uncovering Religion series. This series is for our personal growth as Christians in the things of God to prepare us for judgment and for our eternal lives in heaven, which we are but a breath away from. Life is fleeting. Before you know it, we will meet with the Lord. You know how people always say, "Where is this coming that has been prophesied?" Where is this Lord that you have prophesied? Well, go and get killed in a car crash and you'll meet him. He'll be there. The coming of the Lord comes upon every single person when they die. He's not delayed. Every single person gets to meet the Lord and will see his coming. Anyway, let's pray. Lord, I just, I just lift up this message to you and I ask this morning just to uh, take this message and use it for your glory. Use it to impact the hearts of all of us here today and also those listening on the internet, Lord, I ask that you touch us and move in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and help me now to deliver the message and help me to say the things that you want me to say and shut me up to, say, to not say the things I shouldn't be saying. I pray this all in your wonderful name. Amen. <clears throat> so the word Christmas is derived from, of course, Christ. Uh, our Lord, and also the word mass, and the mass simply means a large body of people gathering together. That's really what mass means, Christmas, a mass of people, all honouring Christ. Christmas is the most celebrated day on this planet, the most celebrated. There is no other celebration greater than Christmas worldwide. Christmas has always been a time of celebration for believers and unbelievers, Of course, for most people today, Christmas just represents a holiday, a day of eating and drinking, and a day that we exchange presents. Is that right? Is that how most people view it? Christmas has always been a time of giving. And if you think about it, from the story we just read, what happened when Christ was born? When the Magi came, what did they do? They gave. They gave gifts to Jesus, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so in in keeping with biblical 
tradition, I suppose, we give. So it is the right thing to do, is to give. Of course, that can be overshadow the whole reason for Christmas. Shop owners can really take advantage of that you know, through uh, advertising campaigns and what have you. But the essence of Christmas is to give. So giving of gifts is an act that is biblical and therefore the right thing to do at Christmas. However, the day of Christmas is more than just a holiday and a day of eating and drinking. Did you know that? It was instituted as a day when the bulk of the planet honour Jesus regardless of their views. Now, there's countries around that don't honour Jesus on Christmas Day. Now, usually that will be because of communistic rulers, Muslim rulers or Hindu rulers, even Buddhist rulers. If you're in a, a country where those rulers dominate, you won't probably be allowed to celebrate Christmas. But guess what? There's many people in those countries that still do honour Jesus on Christmas Day. But outside of those minorities, even though there's probably large masses of the population of the earth in those countries, the bulk of the planet um, celebrates Christmas Day, especially the bulk of the Western world. So when an atheist celebrates Christmas, regardless of what they think they're doing and how they try to convince themselves otherwise, they are stopping for a whole day and honouring Jesus by their celebration. Did you know that? When an atheist celebrates Christmas, they honour Christ, regardless of their mindset. In their mind, though, and I'm not honouring Christ, I'm just having a celebration, I'm just eating the candy cane, I'm just <laughs> opening the presents, doing all this stuff. But they're honouring Christ, aren't they? Because they're stopping and, what are they saying? Merry Christmas, Christ Mass. Merry Christmas, everybody. They're using the name of Christ in a, a nice way. You know, they're not saying Jesus Christ and using him as a swear word. They're using him as, in an honour. I find this astounding, just as I find it amazing that the same thing happens at Easter. Two biggest holidays of the year. Hmm. This is the wonder of God. Did you know that? How many men in history have had that sort of impact on this planet? that we stop twice a year, the two biggest days of the year, we've stopped for it, and we give honour to that person. Do we have a Napoleon Day? <laughs> Hitler Day. A what? Hitler Day. Is there a Hitler Mass? No. Is there a Buddha Mass? Is there a Muhammad Mass? <laughs> or a Confucian Mass? The planet simply doesn't honour any other person in history on this scale. Only Jesus. Only Jesus is the meaning for the two largest holiday seasons on the planet. Is that right? Christmas and Easter. These holidays are evidence to all men that Jesus Christ not only came to earth, but had the greatest impact on the lives of men. Now you think about this. People say, oh yeah, because we live in the Western world, they were founded by Christian men and then they've instituted this, this holiday. Do you know how many holidays have been instituted and then removed? It didn't stick, you know, over time. But these two holidays have stuck for 2,000 years. And they're more popular than ever. And there's no chance that they're going to get removed, no matter what atheists will write a bad report about it in the media or something and stand against it by not celebrating Christmas. But I bet he still gets a present and opens it. 
Do you know what I mean? All right. And not only that, the day of Christmas is there. And there's this one month, one and a half months of build up. And with the pageants and, and Christmas trees everywhere you look. And the shops are full of, you know, uh, nativity scenes and, and you name it. And gifts galore, what you can get for your children. And get this for Christmas. And all the advertisements on TV are all about Christmas. For about a month at least. So this, it's not just the single day that we honour. It's this, this whole season. Is all and why? What is it for? You ask any man. What is Christmas Day for? You ask a little child, what will they say? You know, of an atheist family. Ah, oh, it's about Santa Claus. No, it's not. You ask your parents, what is it really for? Get them to tell you the truth. And what, what is it for? It's because of Christ and his coming. And when Easter comes, ask the children, what is it for? Bunny rabbit. <laughs> Easter bunny. No. Ask your parents, what is it really about? It's because Jesus died on the cross for the sins of men. You know, most atheists could say that. Right? Does it stop them celebrating it? No. Why? We've got to ask ourselves, why is this holiday stuck? Why has this holiday has so much influence on our culture and on our communities, on our cities, on our, you know, on our nations? Why has this is this instituted and stuck for so long and getting more and more popular with each passing year? These holidays are evidence to all men that Jesus Christ not only came to earth but had the greatest impact upon the lives of men. His impact was so great that in most countries of the world, bar those that are run by dictators and for big Christmas, that these days are celebrated. And it's been 2,000 years since he came and still the world honours him en masse twice a year. Santa. Just rearrange the letters of Santa. Satan knew that he did not have the power to remove this celebration. Is that true? Why? Because God instituted the celebration. When God puts something on the planet, it stays because Satan has not the power to remove it until God says, I'll remove it. So Christmas and Easter are here for good unless God says otherwise. So what does Satan do? He doesn't have the power to remove it. He has the power to... Yeah. He has the power to basically redirect people's focus from Jesus by creating two mythological characters... Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. However, even with these substitutes, nearly every last person who celebrates Christmas knows the real reason. Is that right? But still God has made sure that the people of the world honours his son, even though most of the year the world dishonours him. And this is another good thing you've got to think about. Christmas and Easter are the two times in the year where Jesus gets the honour he deserves. Where the rest of the year they go swearing and cursing, using his name in vain and... and blaspheming him and, and uh, fighting against him and resisting him. and But these two, two days is where everyone will at least stop and give him honour, even if they don't think they are. You know that the Jesus says there's going to come a time where every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There will be a time coming when every knee shall bow now, many uh, I've read quite a few different accounts from uh, men of God of what they believe that to mean. At Judgment Day, every single knee that is before God, when God reveals his glory, 
will bow. Every man and woman that has ever been born in all of history, from the beginning of time to the end of time, every soul that has ever, ever lived will stand before God. And the Bible says this, they will all bow the knee. Every single one will bow the knee. When you see the glory of God, you cannot help but bow the knee. And at that time, it's a sad time. The shepherd will separate the sheep from the goats. So there will be over here, there will be a mass of humanity that believe in Jesus. And over here, there will be a mass of humanity that have hated Jesus. Ask yourself this question. Why does the mass of humanity not hate Buddha? Why does the mass of humanity not hate Confucius? Why does the mass of humanity really not hate Muhammad or Allah? And why don't they say Allah damn it instead of God damn it? Right? Why is there a mass of humanity out there that, that hates the bab? That when they, they stub their toe, they go, bab! My point is, no one else is, is used as, in a blasphemic sense except Jesus. Yeah, I've noticed that. No one else. No other man who claims to be godly has ever been used as a swear word in their name. By their not using their name. Only Jesus. Now, most people say, well, that means he's because he's a fraud or whatever. No, that is evidence that he's the truth. To me, that proves to me that he must be the truth. Because if everyone was anti-Muhammad and everything that went, everything they, every time they did something bad, they said Muhammad, or if something went wrong in their life, they went Muhammad, I'd start thinking, well, who's this Muhammad character? No, it's Jesus. I hardly watch a movie these days without someone saying Jesus Christ in a negative sense. So that is evidence. And you know why it's evidence? Because Satan is behind it. What does Satan infiltrate into people's minds and places there as a swear word in their swear vocabulary? Because every person's got one. There's a swear vocabulary in the back of their mind. They all use it. There's a few words there I won't go mentioning. And they stick Jesus in there. They stick Christ in there. They stick God in there. Use these as your swear words. And so men go around using those words as, and the name of Christ as a swear word, breaking a commandment. You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. It's an actual commandment. So that is evidence that Jesus is the truth, isn't it? I know the Greeks also say Panayimu, which is like Mother Mary. Yeah, but when, whenever they use Mary, it's never really in a, a swear. No, it's, it's more, uh, oh, Mary, you know, mother of God. You know, you know when I've sometimes things have gone wrong, I go, oh, God. But I say it as a prayer. Oh, God, what, what is going on in this planet? So it's not a swear word. Only Jesus Christ and God. So it's singled out. They're singled out, aren't they? But no other man has ever made the claims about who he is and his reason for coming as Jesus claimed. No other man in history. You you tell me one other man that walked along and said that I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to heal the sick and then they get healed. I'm going to be raised to life. I'm going to ascend to the Father. I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. 
on high. And through me, you will receive salvation. What other man has ever claimed that in history? No other man like that. Jesus' message while living was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Listen to this. Jesus lived as a road for men to walk along and he died as a doorway for all men to enter through. Jesus' message while he was living was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' message when he died and was raised to life was believe on me and receive the kingdom of heaven. Jesus claimed to be the son of God, not just with words, but with acts of divine authority, unheard of and unseen before or since. No one has had the impact on this planet that Jesus had. And no one backed up every word he spoke with such divine authority like Jesus. All they can say now is, if you don't, to disprove that Jesus walked in that sort of authority is, what the atheists say, oh, I don't believe that. Oh, there's power in that argument. Because that's pretty well we hear. How many arguments have you watched on... Uh, with Christopher Hitchens versus William Lane Craig and William Lane Craig's debates with you know Dawkins and all that, the only argument the atheists have is I don't believe it. Even just talking to people. Yeah, even just talking to people in the street. I don't believe it. That's it. And you know what? That is the distinguishing key uh, to salvation. You've got to believe to be saved. And if you don't believe, you won't be saved. So they don't have any evidence for saying it didn't happen. They just said, I don't believe it. Yet, when the Christian argues the point, we have evidence. That's why these Lee Strobel books are so good, is because he just packs you with evidence around the resurrection and around um, the empty tomb and, and what have you. There's oodles and oodles of evidence that it happened. And it was an actual historical event. And, and, and secular history records it, not just spiritual Christian history. So it's more evidence that Jesus is the Christ. No man has ever lived by such miraculous standards. He calmed storms. He walked on water. He cast out demons. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. No man declared that he would die for the sins of men and then be raised to life and then he fulfilled it. Fancy that. He not just said it, he fulfilled it. And visually so everyone could see it. 500 at once as I keep telling you. Jesus came to lay down his life for his loved ones and no man before or since has ever walked in such a magnificent fulfillment of prophetic scripture, ever. No man was prophesied about coming like Jesus and no man fulfilled everything that was said to the letter like Jesus. This is more evidence that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God. He is real. The God that we serve is the truth. Christmas and Easter testify to it. Jesus came to lay his life down for his loved ones and no man before or since ever walked in such magnificent fulfilment of prophetic scripture. Just think about this. Imagine if you went out canoeing. Okay? You're in some rapids in the river with a friend. Suddenly the raft was bumped and you fell into the water and began to drown. Imagine that. Your friend dives in out of the canoe. He grabs you and pulls you to shore. Right? He saves your life. Would you be grateful? Mm. You know, you'd probably even want to buy him dinner or something, wouldn't you? <laughs> Thanks, mate. <laughs> I owe you one, right? But 
with time, you probably would, you know, that memory would fade and you just always remember your friend who, you know, probably pulled you out of the water. But the whole thing would be inconsequential eventually. You know, I know that you've saved Brother Jim, didn't you, in the river once. He was drowning in the middle of a river. Nick pulled him out of the water and saved his life. Time passes and it's less of an event. Think of it this way, though. Imagine your friend dives in to save you because you've fallen into the river in the rapids, pulls you to safety, but then the river pulls your friend out and he drowns. How different would you remember that event then? You know what I mean? Suddenly, your friend is a hero beyond proportion in your mind. You owe him your very life. He died so that you could live. It would be a very significant day, wouldn't it? You would just about honour that day every year, wouldn't you? In your heart. You'd probably want to remember that day, put it in the calendar every year and just do something to remember your friend by. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? See, m many philosophers and, and what have you have come and taught us good ways to live and probably saved some people from living terrible lives. But they've died and uh, they never died for them. They just taught them good moral codes. Now, if Jesus was just a good moral teacher, we wouldn't have Christmas and Easter. But because he laid his life down, we remember him now. We remember him. And he's a very special, very significant time. Does that all make sense? So now we understand why we have Christmas and Easter and that they are celebrated and honoured in such an esteemed way. Mankind was doomed before the coming of Christ. All men were doomed to hell because they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. So when Christ came, he came to save them that were lost. The coming of Christ was the most significant time in history, but his memory would not be esteemed as it is if he was just a great moral teacher. So God made sure that this day came about. God made sure that these celebrations occur so that unbelievers would be proved hypocrites and believers would be proved true. Do you know Christmas just proves Christians? Christmas is evidence that we are true in what we believe. Easter is evidence that we are true. When an atheist gives you an Easter bunny, it's like saying, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> Here you go. And when they say to you, Merry Christmas, that's hypocrisy. And Jesus and God set that up to prove who they are. To prove who they are. They're hypocrites in their faith. If they were true atheists, if there was an atheist, a national atheist day, and all the atheists were going mad on that day and buying each other gifts, would you share in it? You wouldn't share in it, would you? But they share in our day. Why wouldn't you share in atheist day, Matthew? A national atheism day. But what would be the main reason? Oh, people disagree with what they believe. Yeah. And you would be a hypocrite well, to that's... celebrate, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, I wonder if Richard yeah, Dawkins would ever celebrate Christmas. Yeah, but look, all they will do is in rebellion. They'll, no, I don't believe in this day. Ooh, is that a turkey? <laughs> <laughs> is that a present for me? <laughs> I evolved 
<laughs> yes. It's my ancestor. <laughs> the Christmas and the Easter period is there's such a build up to it. Yeah. You couldn't imagine the build up to Atheist Day. What would they have on their shelves? We all evolved from nothing, so give to each other nothing. <laughs> Here, here's nothing. Just explode. Thank you. Yeah, just a, a firecracker. That's how we started. <laughs> okay. Now, in contrast, Halloween, right? There's the people going to say, oh, what about Halloween? Well, that's an American thing. It's a good old, you know, Satan comeback for trying to compete with Christmas and Easter. Doesn't compare, by the way. The build up and the festive festivities of it uh, aren't anywhere near the same. Um, and it's only really an American thing that Australia's trying to take on, but, you know. You'd have to be a, a loony tune to let your kids walk around in some ghoul outfit and get candy from s some freako down lives down the road. <laughs> knock knock knock, candy. Come here. <laughs> Put you in the room with all my other little ghouls. <laughs> no, well, look, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let my kids go and do that. That's crazy. You know. Anyway, so Halloween doesn't compare, does it? No. Except that we got married on Halloween just to get it. Just the Christian influence on the 31st of October. So I remembered our date. So God has made sure that the most acknowledged days of celebration on the planet are Christmas and Easter. Even though the bulk, a lot of the planet might not celebrate like population-wise, the known world, like as in the whole world is a known world, but the should rephrase that... The Western world, I'm feeling like I'm back, you know, 500 years ago. In the known world. In the flat earth. In the flat earth. You go that way, don't go too far. Okay. He made sure that this would take place as a witness to all men that Christ is God. He made sure that the celebrations occur so that unbelievers would be proved hypocrites and believers would be proved true. That's a important point. With all this astounding evidence of the reality of Christ, we can safely reason that he is real. And his words are true. And that just as he came once, he is coming again. Our Lord Jesus and his disciples and the, angel, his disciples and the angels at his tomb promised that he will come again. Also the angels, when Jesus ascended, the angels that stood before the disciples also promised the same Jesus he saw go into heaven is going to return in that same way. So if someone says that, Hey, Jesus is, is down in the upper room at, you know, Rundle Street. Don't believe him. Because he's not going to return like that. He's not going to return like the way he came the first time, being born mm. as human. So Maitreya, the self-proclaimed Christ, he's not Christ. Maitreya. Maitreya, his name is. Look him up. He's not the Christ because how can he be? Jesus said, I'm not going to return that way. So you know what he does to override Jesus? He says, well, Jesus wasn't the real Christ. I am. So everything he said doesn't count anyway. But he's not performing miracles. He's not performing wonders. He's not calming storms. He's not walking on water. He's not laying his life down for the sins of men. He's not doing anything that the Jewish Bible, uh, Old Testament prophesied would take place in the person of Christ. He has just announced himself to be a Christ. And people follow him. Because people are ignorant. You know, I had an incident just recently. 
this fellow said, I'm an atheist. He actually said to his wife, I don't believe in, I'm not, don't call me a Christian. He didn't want to be classed as a Christian. He believes in reincarnation, but he's an atheist. Explain that one. And he also doesn't believe in the Bible. So when I said to be a Christian, one of the evidences of being a Christian is you would read the Bible. If you have a, a picture in your mind of what a Christian is, you would think of Bible in hand, church. Those would be the things you'd think of as a Christian. Now, when I said that you have to read the Bible to be a Christian, he got offended. He said, why? He says, well, you're trying to say you're a better Christian than me because you read the Bible. I said, why would that offend you? You've just told me you're not even a Christian. You said that you're an atheist. Oh, you just think you're a better Christian than me. Okay, so he equates Christianity, and Vini explained it. He equates being a Christian is just that you're a good person, culturally. Greek Orthodox, I'm a good person. But he can also be an atheist as well, so explain that one. That means they just do not have any comprehension of what Christianity is because they don't read the Bible. And so that's just another example of a warped belief that people have. Very confused. It's crazy stuff. Anyway, I'm going to do a bit of reading um, with you, but just let me read the last bit of my sermon here. And it says, As sure as there is a Christmas and an Easter is as certain as we should be that Christ will return. The evidence that Christ will return is the fact that Christmas and Easter exist. The Bible declares to us his return and he will certainly come and not delay. God is not slow, as the word says. 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So he's not slow. It is grace to us that Christ has not returned. Is that true? It's grace to us. Because if he did, how many people would, would, would be going to hell straight away? Men mock Jesus because he has not returned, but he is certainly going to return. The word says in 2 Peter 3, 4, get this. They will say, Peter said, they will say, this is a prophecy, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. What a prophecy. He saw the foretold, our day, when people are saying, where is this coming? You always say he's going to come like the Jehovah Witnesses have done it in Seventh-day Adventists and so on, and there's other groups, and no Jesus. So they mock us. They mock Christ because of that. But the fact of the matter is, he's not slow in coming. A day is a thousand years to the Lord. So what might seem like a long time to us is, is nothing to Jesus. But he is certainly coming. So in conclusion, Christmas and Easter testify to us yearly that he is coming. Is that true? So this morning I believe that we should honour Jesus once again for his holy coming at um, and his death and his resurrection, his ascension, for he is Holy Spirit whom we have, testifies of him and the great salvation that he purchased for us on the cross. So as well as honouring him for the promise that he made and many of the early apostles prophesied that he would return, this is the power of Christmas message, that he came once, he is coming again. And we're just going to read Luke. If you could go to Luke. Luke 17 verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. That's the time we're in now. Men will tell you, There he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day 
will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. And then he goes on to say, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So this generation, meaning this every, every generation, Jesus has been rejected by every generation, hasn't he? En masse. That's a strange thing. You know, that's what the challenge of the faith a lot of the time is, is for Christians who feel like a minority to keep the faith. Well, Jesus said narrow is the gate. Narrow is the gate. Small, tight is the road that leads to salvation. Not many are on it. He warned us that only out of all the generations of men, only a few, he said many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called the wide road, but only a few are chosen for salvation. So be thankful that the Spirit testifies in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Be thankful that He tells you and convicts you every day that He is the Lord. And when you have your doubts, you pick the Bible up and your doubts dissipate. Have you noticed that? Who notices that? If you don't understand who Christ is, if you have your doubts about Christianity, pick this thing up and read it. Like I said, I didn't know the Bible when I first opened it. Within eight weeks, I'd read the whole thing. When I first became a Christian at 21, eight weeks and it was in me. I'd read the whole thing in my heart. So when the Jehovah Witnesses came and witnessed to me for three months in their Bible studies, as I said last week, they couldn't win me. They couldn't convert me because they couldn't deceive me because I had the Bible in my heart. I actually could see their deceptions more clearly than they possibly could because I had read the book. So make sure if there's doubts in your heart, read the book. Get it into your heart. Now, I can testify now that I, well, I can't even tell you how many times I've read it, especially the New Testament. I don't know how many times I've read it, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, over and over and over and glossed over things and reread and reread and reread. Now I'm writing sermons each week. You go even deeper. You know, so get the word of God in your heart. Make sure it's there. What is going to keep you from falling when pressure gets gets really tough from family and friends and stuff? What's going to keep you from being deceived when someone comes up with a clever way of telling you about the, the way to believe? Do you know what I mean? But it's only slightly variation from what you already believe. And if you get sucked in that slightly, it just veers way off and goes back down to the wide road again. You know what I mean? Make sure you know the Word of God. We're just going to go to Acts 1, verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, just make note that this is after Jesus had res been resurrected from the dead. He had been crucified, resurrected from the dead, appeared for over 40 days to all the disciples. And this was just before he was about to ascend to heaven. So the last time they would see him as a physical person. So after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And a cloud hid him from their sight. As they were looking intently up into the sky... As he was going away, they, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So if anyone says that Jesus is here or there, don't believe him. He's going to come back the same way. And what did he say? He's going to be like lightning that flashes from the east to the west. And it's not going to be people say, some people say, oh, he was talking about a time when we'll have TV so that we can all be watching the return of Jesus on TV. No. He won't use the TV. That's a Satan's medium. He's not going to use that medium. You know why? Because people will just think if it's on TV, it's not real. <laughs> right? So what's he going to do? He's going to flash from the east to the west. Whoosh! And again, wham, the other way. And back and forth. That's not east to the <laughs> Right? So he is going to be like lightning. Now you could imagine it. Christ, who is God larger than life, with the host of heaven behind him, all on angelic horses, riding through the skies, and the, the, the thickness of the, of the um, train, I suppose, would be as thick as from here to Melbourne or to New Zealand. The whole of the sky lit up by Christ. Won't need a TV, you just go out there. You will not think that any man could put that on. No man with technology could do what Christ is going to do. It's going to be, and while it's happening, I could imagine the earth will be shaking beneath our feet and we'll see the glory of God just sweeping overhead. Just a question though, is it going to appear like everywhere at the same time? I believe so. He's got that capacity. He holds the earth in his hand. The Father God holds the earth in his hand. And actually, earth is so small in comparison to most of his creation. So he very well could just, just do this. <laughs> and everyone gets an experience of God. I think to me the important bit is that you won't be looking at it and going, oh, well, that could be. Yeah. You know, like there will be no doubt. There'll be no doubt. <laughs> Explain it away. It's a cosmic I'm event. <laughs> it's a big bang. <laughs> no, he won't be able to explain it. Go back to Matthew 24. Okay, so Matthew 24, verses 26. It says, So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, do not go out, or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it, for as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the stress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Right? So there's going to be, there'll be no sun or the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give light. The stars will fall from the sky so the heavenly host won't be able to see any longer. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. There'll be earthquakes and you name it will be going on. At that time, at that very time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and it's the sign of the Son of Man. And all the nations of the earth will mourn. Why will they mourn? They'll go, oh, Jesus is real. He's coming. There's the sign. Then wouldn't you mourn if you knew you lived a life of rebellion against God and suddenly God's coming? And that time that you thought was just some sort of mythological legend that never will happen is actually happening. Mm. And you know that now he's coming. There's no repentance any longer. At that moment, there's no repentance. That means, you know what's going to flash into their mind? 
eternal hell. Their thoughts will be just filled with hell. They'll just think, that's it. If the Christians are true, which they are, because I can see it now, that means I'm condemned. That means hell's true. So what are you going to do? They're going to mourn for their soul. It'll be a sad time. Christians will be rejoicing. But the atheists and the and those deceived by other religions will be mourning. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. A loud trumpet call, you imagine? When the Bible says something's loud, the whole earth will hear this trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So make sure you're there believing in Christ so he'll gather you up at that time because he's coming. And I won't read any more of that. Uh, last, last little bit of scripture we're going to read is 1 Thessalonians. So if you just go forward, forward, it's near the back of the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13. The coming of the Lord. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. If we fall asleep, meaning if we die, we will be with him. What a hope. What a grand hope. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So that's the resurrection. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's why I'm telling you about this. We've got to be encouraged by knowing the Lord's coming. Christmas and Easter testify to the coming of Jesus. Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness so that this day would surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Nick, they sleep at night. <laughs> I just thought of that. Here's my scripture for you. Those who sleep, sleep at night. <laughs> and those who get drunk get drunk at night but since we belong to the day let us be self-controlled putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as just, in fact, you are doing. Now, I thought I'd end on that, that we've got to remember that he died for us. 
He died for us so that whether we are awake, meaning alive, or asleep, meaning if we die, that we may live with him. So we live with him regardless. Who's with that? Are you living with Christ? Yes. Are you living with Christ, Matt? Yep. Guys? But he should be all of our life, shouldn't he? Okay, so let's take our communion. I just got a question. When Christ comes, will people, do you think Christians will be scared? Yes, it's a fearful, fearful day. It's a very, very, uh, the Bible calls it a dreadful day. It will shock us. It will be like, because what we'll feel, we'll feel remorse for um, not living enough for him. Not doing enough. Not doing enough. He'll save us by grace. As long as we hold to him as the deity, as dying for our sin, as we hold to that. He'll save us by grace, but we'll feel like we haven't lived for Him. You know what I mean? I'll feel, I know, I'll feel like I've let Him down. There's always more we can do for God. I remember reading somewhere, because I know Heidi's talked to me about not reading Revelation, like just seeing and reading it, and like, doesn't really think about it. The book of Revelation is a blessing. Um, you would have to be deceived to say that because the Bible says this book is a blessing to those who read. And what it is, it's it's not the revelation of the apocalypse, no. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation of his majesty and his glory. So we must read it. It was written for the churches, the seven churches. Um, So it's for us as we are all an extension of those seven churches in some form or another. So it's written for all of us, for our blessing. And also that we will uh, be able to discern the times through knowing that book as well as Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and so on. Mm. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for, uh, for coming, Jesus. You came and uh, lived the, uh, such a wonderful life for all of us and then you gave up your life for our sin. And Lord, then you rose again after three days. And then you appeared before your disciples, proving you that you are alive and that death had no hold on you. And then you ascended to the Father, to his right hand, where you are seated now on the throne of majesty. And Lord, then since then you dispensed the Holy Spirit upon us uh, so that we would be able to live with you in us by the Holy Spirit. And uh, now that we've even coming to this day or yesterday being Christmas Day, Lord, we know that these seasons were set up by God and instituted by God in unmovable by Satan. And then we can acknowledge that you are Lord on these days. And it would be a testimony to all of those who don't believe of your reality. And so, Lord, we thank you for Christmas, we thank you for Easter, we thank you for everything that you've done for us and given us. But Lord, we thank you even more now with the promise of knowing that you are going to return and that whether we're alive or, or, or whether we die, we are with you. And Lord, that death has no hold on any of us. And so Lord, what you achieved on the cross is astounding and so meaningful to us, Lord. And so we take of this bread now in remembrance of your body that was broken for us, Lord. And we take of the cup in remembrance of your blood that was shed for us, Lord. Thank you for dying for us. Mm-hmm.